Well, as the children are being dismissed, I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles or find on your phone Proverbs chapter 24. It'll be our opening text today, Proverbs chapter 24. If you're wondering where Proverbs is, it's basically right in the middle of your Bible. You can just fold it open and you'll probably find Psalms or Proverbs there. We're in Proverbs chapter 24 this morning. I'd like to just read a few verses to start us out. Proverbs chapter 24, I'm going to read verses 10 through 12. When I finish verse 12, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond, thanks be to God. Please follow along as I read. Beginning in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we didn't know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his works? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'd like to pray and then begin our message this morning. Father, we give thanks for your word because amidst all of the white noise of culture and various opinions that flood the news waves and, and amidst all of the political parties and amidst all of the, the family tensions, amidst all of that, there is a voice that matters most and it's yours. And so help us today to hear your voice. Help us today to find both direction and comfort. I want to specifically pray this morning for those who have been touched by loss, those who have been grieved maybe by even their own decisions, that you would comfort their hearts this morning. Help them to realize that you are the God who pardons even those who take life. And you're the God who empowers those who want to preserve it. And so we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've come to Gospel Grace Church for any length of time, you know that the meat and potatoes of our teaching ministry is expositional preaching. And basically what that means is we work through books of the Bible. We let the text of scripture sit in the driver's seat, so to speak. The main idea of the text is the main idea of the sermon. And we just work passage by passage through books, books like Deuteronomy or books like 1 Corinthians. Or right now our church this year is in the middle of the, the book of Luke. We're going to spend 46 weeks this year going through the book of Luke. So nearly every Sunday that you show up here, it's going to start with a phrase like this. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke. And that's because we just normally work just passage by passage, verse by verse, through books of the Bible. We don't hop around. We don't skip hard passages. We don't stomp on soap boxes or ride personal hobby horses. That's not what we do here at Gospel Grace Church. 
Instead, we let the text of scripture identify our greatest needs. We let God's word answer our deepest questions. We let the Bible set the agenda. That's called expository preaching, and that's what we do nearly every week here at Gospel Grace Church. But there are a few weeks in the calendar that we take a different approach, and this happens to be one of them. At times, we will speak from a biblical theological perspective. Perhaps we'll trace one of the grand storylines or meta-narratives through scripture. That'll be a little different feel of a sermon. Or there are times where we align our message with important days in the Christian calendar, like Good Friday or Easter or Advent. And those will be a little different feel of sermons. And then there are times that we'll speak to a particular theme. We'll try to bring various passages of Scripture to bear on a specific topic. Because the fact is, there are cultural moments and critical issues that require a word from the Lord. In other words, there are things that happen and we sit here and they're happening all around us and we wonder, what does God's word say to something like this? Well, the sanctity of life is one of those important themes. I moved to Salt Lake City a little more than 10 years ago. It was when my youngest daughter was just a year old. And I thought about that recently. This is the only church that she has known. This is the only congregation. This is is the only community of faith she will remember at this point in her life. She doesn't know any other. And I thought about the children who grow up in this church. I thought about some of your children who may spend year after year coming to this congregation. And I wondered about some of the key things that they should know. And I'm going to tell you, the truth about life is one of those. It's one of those key themes, those critical issues, that if you come to Gospel Grace or you grow up in this church, you should know God's perspective on life. And so a number of years ago, I just started to build into my preaching plan a week each year where I would talk about the sanctity of life, where I would share a number of passages of scripture that speak to this topic, where I'd have an opportunity to share with you my heart on this issue and bring key passages of God's word to bear. Now, this is a tough conversation to have. You may feel this morning like this is a tough conversation to hear. But imagine standing up here looking at all of you. It's it's a tough conversation to have. It's split families. It's it's divided denominations. It's ruined friendships. And so some of you are wondering, so why walk into this sort of a minefield? Well, it's because life is not a political issue. Life is not a privatized opinion. The truth about life is defined by God. And here's why. Because he's the author of life. That's what he's called in scripture. The author of life. He's the author of life so he gets to define the truth about life. 
And the fact is, our God has spoken. So we must listen. So this morning, even if you don't share my perspective, would you simply listen to God's word? Even if you're here this morning and you have pain from your past, maybe you've boxed that up, you've tried to forget it, you don't want to talk about it, you don't want it to come to the surface, would you just listen to God's word? Because I'm going to tell you something about the nature of God. God does not take truth and force feed us. He doesn't ram it down our throat. Instead, he ministers with mercy, grace, and truth, just spoonful by spoonful to help his children grow in a knowledge of him and his word. So will you listen to the Lord this morning? I'd like to start by highlighting the fact that God has a heart towards the weak and needy. Like, if you wonder, like, how does God feel about people who are oppressed or those who suffer? How does he feel about the marginalized? How does he feel about those who have no voice? His heart is toward the weak and the needy. This past year, I um, just tried to start a discipline of praying through the Psalms. My mother-in-law gave me this little paperback Psalms book, and so I just started to write prayers in it and work my way through, you know, every few days, just work my way through a Psalm and pray through it. I just want to tell you it's a great practice. If you run out of words to pray, borrow some of God's. He doesn't mind. It's not plagiarism. So I just had this little Psalms book and I would write prayers and I'd work my way through the Psalms. This last year we hit June 24th. I don't know if you remember that day, but it was the day where Roe v. Wade was overturned. And it was one week to the day after, after that, that monumental court case that I hit Psalm 72. I want you to turn to Psalm 72 this morning. There's just a few passages I'm going to take you to that I hope you will listen to God's voice. So in 1973, there was a Supreme Court ruling that we know as Roe v. Wade. It legalized abortion in all 50 states. And then this past year on June 24th, it was overturned. Here I am, and I'm just working my way through the Psalms, praying, thinking about these. And I get to Psalm 72, just a week after that. It's a prayer of David, specifically for his son Solomon at the end of his life. But what you'll find in this prayer is that Solomon could never be the fulfillment of this prayer. David is praying for a coming king, and Solomon wasn't it. It was going to be a king that was much greater, a king that can do much more. And so as you listen to this prayer, I want you to think about that king. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he 
defend the cause of the poor of people and give deliverance to the children of the needy. Crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea. I just stop for a second, not just state to state. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. Now look at verse 12. For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy. And he saves the lives of the needy from the oppression and violence. He redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. I just want to tell you, here I am a week after the overturn of Roe v. Wade and I'm I'm praying along with the psalmist. I'm praying for a king who will bring righteousness and justice. I'm praying for a royal son who will defend the cause of the poor and give deliverance to the needy. I'm asking God for this monarch who would bring peace to the earth, have dominion from sea to sea such that the rulers of all nations would bow before him. I'm praying for this king, this sort of ruler that delivers the needy that takes care of the poor who has no helper, that pities the weak and needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and their blood is precious in his sight. And I'm just praying for this king. And I couldn't help but think about all of those babies who are weak and needy. All of the unborn whose lives are in danger. Is there any class of people that is more weak and needy than the unborn? Is there anyone who has been so oppressed by violence that their blood has been shed and shed and shed? The shedding of their blood does not go without notice. It does not escape the king's sight. And so as I read this psalm, I prayed that the king would come, that the travesty of abortion would be stopped completely, that the Lord would truly deliver these babies who have no helper, that he would pity the weak and save their lives. And why could I pray that? I could pray that because I know that God has a heart towards the weak and the needy. He has a heart towards them. He views the unborn. Listen, my friends, this may be up for debate in some circles, but if you just look at scripture, you have to come to the conclusion that God views the unborn as living human persons. 
There are texts of scripture like the reference to Rebecca's twins. Now, Rebecca was Isaac's wife. Maybe you know Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Isaac's wife was Rebecca. She was going to have twins. The twins were named Jacob and Esau. And this is what the Bible says in Genesis 25, 22. The children struggled within her. Notice it doesn't say the fetal tissues struggled within her. The globules of cells struggled within her. No, it says the children struggled within her. Or you look at another passage, Isaiah the prophet says this in Isaiah 49.1. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. In other words, this prophet is clearly a person with purpose, called by the Lord and named before he was born. Our church, we're going through the book of Luke. We just got through Advent season where we went through the, the birth story of Jesus. And if you remember in the text of scripture that we covered, you have Mary, the mother of Jesus, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, these two pregnant women meet up in Luke chapter one, verse 39. It says this, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. What do we find in this text of scripture? Well, we find that the Bible clearly shows that this unborn child, John the Baptist, is demonstrating joy in his mother's womb. We see that Jesus, unborn at this time, is called the Lord. My friends, scriptures time and time again are clear that the unborn are living human persons. And God's heart is towards these babies. He cares deeply about them. Now, I think in some ways, American culture would like to close its ears and cover its eyes and pretend nothing is happening. Like a common German citizen walking through streets where ash is falling from incinerators in the distance and thinking to themselves, I just need to get to work. I just need to go along with my day and paying no attention to the truth of what's happening. God's heart is towards the weak and needy and our hearts should be too. We can't close our ears and cover our eyes and pretend nothing is happening. I got an email from a young woman who was in a very difficult situation. She was involved in an extramarital affair when she discovered that she was pregnant. It was certain that the new life belonged to her lover and not her husband, and so she was in a bind. Not only that, but when she told the man she was having an affair with about this situation, he didn't want anything to do with it. 
She felt like it was unethical to terminate her pregnancy, especially in the second trimester. But he was pressuring her for this abortion. This woman felt alone and abandoned with the consequences of her actions. I received this email and I was just angered. I'm gonna tell you I was angered at the father's refusal to take responsibility. I wanted to help this, this woman. I, I wanted to encourage her about the gift of life, regardless of the situation or the circumstances of difficulty that were surrounded her. And so I wrote her back. This is what I said. It seems like you're trying to navigate a very difficult situation. I'm so sorry that the blessing of new life has been shrouded with a lack of support and unbiblical pressure to terminate the pregnancy. Please know that God cares for you and your baby. You are loved. And although your situation must feel very heavy, you're not alone. God says he'll never leave us or forsake us. Treasure that little one because God can make beautiful things out of difficult circumstances. I told her my father was the product of an unplanned pregnancy. And his biological mother gave him up for adoption instead of aborting him. God did something wonderful out of a difficult situation in my family. And I'm confident that he can do that with you. My wife and I would love to set up a time that we could meet, listen to your situation more fully, and see if there's any way we can help you. There was silence for about two weeks. And then she wrote a response. The father wouldn't consent to adoption. I couldn't make the decision by myself. Though it was traumatic for me, I'm no longer pregnant. Thanks for offering to help us. I'm only attaching this photo Because when I reached out to the, the father's family, they called me a liar. And I wish things were different, truly. And attached was a sonogram picture of second trimester twins before they were adopted, aborted. It's so sad. It just broke my heart. I just cried right there at my desk, you know. For the mother who felt so trapped that she didn't see any other way out. Um, for this delinquent man that was so deceived. For these little lives that were lost. I wept because sin makes such a mess of things. But that whole situation caused me to ask, how is it that we can know God's heart and still go our own way? 
What kinds of lies lead to such terrible decisions? That's what I'd like to turn our attention to next. Though we've considered God's heart towards the weak and needy, I want to pause and I want to think about man's misguided thoughts towards the weak and needy. I think one of the common lies that fuels the abortion industry is that the unborn are somehow less than human. Little babies are kept off the sonogram screen. They're alluded to with phrases like, we'll just take out the fetal tissue, or we're simply removing your pregnancy. The deceiver wants to dehumanize the unborn because then it can be eliminated without guilt. If the unborn are merely like an aching wisdom tooth or an inflamed appendix, then they can be removed to spare you discomfort. But folks, ignoring the humanity of the weak and vulnerable is a monumental travesty. And it has led Listen, it's led to terrible things in our history. Fold through the most painful pages of our history books and what you will find is a common thread and that is that people have been dehumanized. If blacks aren't people, if they're just a subclass of what Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, called defective stock, If blacks are merely defective stock, then they can be kidnapped, abused, and enslaved. If Jews aren't people, but rather, quote, rats, like the Nazis referred to them, then we can strip them, gas them, and use their skin for lampshades. If the Tutsis in Rwanda are just, quote, cockroaches, as the Hoodoos called them, then the slaughtering of 600,000 of them is not a problem. If babies aren't people, then we can abort 73 million of them a year around the globe and load our landfills with their dismembered corpses. But that's not the truth. The truth is, These unborn children are not mere products of conception. They're not mere fetal material. They are living humans with dignity and worth, and they deserve our protection. God's heart is towards them, and ours should be as well. We cannot endorse this lie that somehow they are less than human. No, my friends, they are image bearers. They are loved by God. Listen to the psalmist from Psalm 139. If you have any question, if you wonder about this, then listen to Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. The psalmist says, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. 
What is the psalmist saying? The psalmist is saying, God was actively involved in weaving me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made because I'm made by God. These unborn are treasurable in God's sight and they should be treasurable in ours. Now, some people suggest that because the unborn are small or because they're not fully developed or because they're in utero, or because they're dependent on their mother, that somehow they're not yet members of the human family, and they can be discarded at will. They mistakenly see size, location, and dependence as qualifying factors for personhood. But that just doesn't stand up to reason. Listen, my friends, these are the things you will hear people say. To justify this travesty of abortion in terms of size. Sure, embryos are smaller than newborns. They're smaller than adults for that matter. But do we really want to say that large people are more human than small people? Do we really want to go there? Level of development. Some people say, well, they're not fully developed. People aren't like clocks and spaceships. Artifacts such as clocks and spaceships come into existence part by part. But living beings are different. They come into existence all at once and then gradually unfold themselves to the world around them. Now fetuses are clearly less developed than you and me. But four-year-olds are less developed than 14-year-olds. Are we saying that teens have more innate rights than toddlers? It just doesn't stand to reason. There's something called the fallacy of the beard. I grew my beard out just for this one. (laughs) The fallacy of the beard. This is what it says. Just because you can't tell when the stubble ends and the beard begins doesn't mean you can't distinguish bearded faces from clean-shaven ones. Just because you can't discern when the stubble ends and the beard begins doesn't mean you can't discern someone has a beard or someone's clean-shaven. My friends, you may wrestle with certain specifics of developmental biology, but it doesn't mean you can't recognize life when you see it. Look at the sonogram. Listen to the heartbeat. That's life. Okay, what about environment? Some people say the unborn can be discarded because they're somehow nestled into their mother's uterus. Does does that give her the right to decide what to do? Well, let me ask you something. Does your location change your human value? My friends, Passing through the birth canal as passing through the Panama Canal does nothing to change who you are. It's who you are, not where you are, that determines your worth and your right to life. Finally, some people talk about dependence. The unborn is dependent on the mother for survival, so perhaps they don't have the right to live. If viability makes people valuable, What about those who depend on insulin? What about those who are hooked up to machines in a temporary coma? 
What about those who require a dialysis machine? Surely you're not suggesting that they're disposable, are you? My friends, the fact is, although people differ, they share common dignity and value as human beings. They have equal rights to life. Others are misguided. Remember, we're we're thinking about some of man's misguided thoughts towards the weak and the needy. Others are misguided into thinking that hardship is a sufficient reason for homicide. They would never put it that way. But that's the truth of the matter. This causes my life to be hard. So therefore, I have to eliminate this child. They say things like, there's no way I could afford to raise this child. I'm going to end up a single mom or a single dad. How, How could I possibly make ends meet? Well, at first glance, that might sound responsible. But the real question is this, when human beings get expensive, can we kill them? Financial difficulty is a hardship, but it doesn't justify homicide. I heard someone tell me that abortion was a better option than bringing their child up in a world of potential unwantedness or abuse. I just shook my head. To kill the unborn is the greatest form of abuse a child could ever undergo. You're afraid they may be raised in a society where they would be unwanted and abused, so you kill them? The question is not whether the unborn are wanted. The question is whether they are human. Some will push back and say, well, what about birth defects or disabilities? Do you realize that sadly an estimated 92% of all women who receive a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome choose to terminate their pregnancies? I want to suggest to you that God has a design and a desire to use everything for our good and his glory. Everything. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes, it says in Romans 8, 28. That includes disabilities. Listen to what God told Moses in Exodus 4, 11. Listen to the words of the Lord. Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God's wise providence and his sovereign direction of our lives can even include disabilities. Do you remember the man born blind in John chapter 9? Jesus says his disability is part of God's plan to glorify himself. I was reading an excerpt from a former Surgeon General named Everett Koop. He had worked for several years with deformed infants as a pediatric surgeon in Philadelphia's Children's Hospital. This is what he wrote. I found it fascinating. He said this, It has been my constant experience that disability and unhappiness do not necessarily go together. Some of the most unhappy children whom I've known has all their physical and mental faculties. And on the other hand, some of the happiest youngsters have borne burdens which I myself would find very difficult to bear. Who knows what happiness is for another person? 
Now, I'm not trying to minimize the difficulty or the financial strain or the unexpected pregnancies and all that comes with it, some hard home situations or potential defects and disabilities. I'm not trying to minimize those things. I don't want to minimize hardship, but I don't want to justify homicide. Abortion is not the answer. I wonder how many of you over Christmas did what we did in our home and watched It's a Wonderful Life. There's two people. <laughs> There's a fantastic movie. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart, It's a Wonderful Life. Okay, you didn't watch over Christmas. I just want to pull the audience one more time. How many of you have ever seen that movie? Okay, thank you. Oh, making me feel a little better. This classic Jimmy Stewart movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Here's this main character. His name is George Bailey. And he experiences hardship, doesn't he? It's like overnight, his life unravels. Things got so bad for George Bailey that he wishes he had never been born. He stands on this bridge. He's contemplating ending his life. And an angel is sent to him, Clarence. Do you remember him? Doesn't look like an angel, but there's Clarence. He's sent to him to show him how the world would have been a much worse place without him. Do you remember how all this unfolds? George ends up going back to Bedford Falls, but it's not Bedford Falls anymore. It's Pottersville. He tries to find his wife, but it's not his wife anymore. Mary's an old maid. He goes to see Mr. Gower. Do you remember Mr. Gower, the druggist? Now he's an ex-convict and a drunk. Things are bad all around him. And this is what Clarence, the angel, says. Strange, isn't it? Every man's life touches so many other lives. And when he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole to fill, doesn't he? You see what a mistake it would be to throw it all away? My friends, do you realize how abortion has created some 73 million awful holes in our society each year? Have you ever wondered what our culture has lost? People have been so focused on personal hardship that they've ignored untold measures of societal loss. Just to put this in perspective, I brought in uh, my daughter's yearbook from Highland High School. And um, do you realize this is the, this is the seniors right here? You've, you've seen the yearbooks. You probably have a few. They've got all these funky pictures that you're going to go back and laugh at one day. My hair looked like that, you know? <laughs> that was my senior quote. <laughs> do you see all these? This is the senior class, Highland High School. Do you realize that since 1991, it's estimated that nearly one-third of those who should have been in the senior class aren't there because of abortion? You turn page after page of those photos and you realize there are pages missing. What a loss. Do you realize that if you were to take the American casualties of all of our wars 
Start back at the Revolutionary War and just start working your way through. Civil War, keep, keep going. World War I, World War II, throw in Korea and Vietnam and the Gulf War. Put all the American casualties together. Do you realize we kill more babies each year by abortion than all American casualties of all of our wars combined? Do you realize that? If you've ever been to Washington, D.C., You've probably seen the Vietnam Memorial. It's, it's actually a moving site. There are 58,132 names etched in it. Do you realize that every two and a half weeks we could fill just as many names with aborted children in our country? You may say they don't have names, but I'm gonna tell you for certain the God who determines the number of stars in the sky and knows them all by name, knows those children too. God's heart is toward the weak and needy, even if sinful people are misguided about them. So where does that leave us this morning? Well, it points us to our need for God's help. I want to close this morning by just talking about God's help for the weak and the needy. For those in dire straits and desperate, desperate circumstances, I want you to know this morning that rest will not come from trying to erase your difficulty. It will only come if you run to the one who can bear your burden and carry your sorrow. Find refuge in the one who can wipe away every tear. Find refuge in the one who promises one day to banish all pain for eternity. To all who are hurting and hopeless, Jesus says this, come to me, all of you who are weak and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you know only God can make beauty from ashes? Only God can turn things that seem so bad into something that's good. Only God can heal your heart and fix this hardship. Do you remember a man in the Bible named Joseph? He suffered terrible trauma, devastating tragedy. His life was riddled with one thing after another that was difficult. But the thing that anchored him through each of these trials was the confidence that while others meant this for evil, God meant this for good. Consider the crucifixion itself, my friends. The murder of Jesus, a terrible travesty, a miscarriage of justice. But God used it for good to the saving of many souls. God wants to help the weak and needy. And that might mean you this morning. It might mean your baby if you're in a tough spot, or if you know someone who is, I just want to encourage you that you're loved and you're not alone. You know that email I read? I went back and read my response over and over and over again, wondering if there was something else I could have said. If there was something else I could have done. If only I could have pled a little bit more. If only I could have reasoned a little more clearly. You know, you think those things. 
I don't know what your life situation is this morning, but I want to reason with you and plead with you that there is help and there is hope in the Lord and in his people. God loves you. He, he loves your baby. And even if you can't see a way out of this difficulty, he can. You may feel like you're in this corn maze of this unplanned pregnancy and there's no way out. I want to tell you, God sits high above in that tower and he can direct your life. Will you trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understandings in all your ways, including this pregnancy? In all your ways will you acknowledge him and let him direct your path. This morning, perhaps you need to confess your sin. Or maybe you need to report a crime. Or maybe you need to admit your inabilities or just be honest about your own limitations. All of those are options and they're so much better than abortion. If you admit your weakness and your need, God will help. I was in the airport a few months ago when Nate and Ruth uh, came home. I saw Ruth this morning. Um, when they came through that airport terminal, there's a group of us gathered there. Some people had signs and there was cheering. And there bundled up in Ruth's arms was little Ivy. Nate and Ruth, Nate's one of our deacons here. They had waited for years for a baby. And finally the adoption came about and they brought home this little treasure. And that baby received a forever home with loving parents. You know, just a week ago, this past Sunday, I went over to Jonathan and Erica's house because they were bringing home their little bundle of joy. They just adopted little Harrison. He had a forever home with loving parents. What joy. Now, I don't know the specifics surrounding the biological parents and their circumstance. I don't know their hardships or their difficulties, but what I do know, in both of those cases, they chose life. And God helped. You know what else? Those weak and needy babies were rescued. Friends, God's heart is toward the weak and needy. And despite common misconceptions of men, our Lord is ready and willing to help. Will you turn to him? Let's pray. I wonder if you'd just bow your heads and close your eyes and reflect on some of these passages we went to this morning. I wonder if perhaps some of you in this room have been touched in some way by abortion. Maybe you have guilt or maybe you have grief. Maybe you've supported abortion or just been silent about abortion. Is God stirring you to do something this morning? Maybe he's stirring you just to pray right there in your seat or with someone next to you. Or maybe find one of, one of the pastors, find me or one of the pastor's wives. We'd love to bear your burden with you. We, we want to care for you or counsel you from the Bible. Whatever your burden is this morning, don't bear it alone. Pray with someone about it. Maybe you need to participate this morning. Participate in supporting the sanctity of life. 
perhaps that means you give to our missions endeavor for the Pregnancy Resource Center. Maybe it means you volunteer for the cause. Or maybe it means you, you voice your values, you speak up and share the good news of hope and forgiveness with the hurting. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that we are loved by God. He pardons sinners. He heals the brokenhearted. He brings deliverance to the weak and the needy. That's our king. So we pray, come Lord Jesus. And we ask these things in his name. Amen and amen. Thank you for your close attention this morning as we've walked through a difficult subject. If there's any way we can help, if you're interested in doing further study or more reading, I'd love to recommend some resources to you. If you need prayer or care, please find one of the pastors or our, or our wives and we'd love to care for you this morning.